You can go ahead and turn your Bibles to John chapter 4, is where we're going to be studying this evening. I've been spending... Do we have any extra Bibles in here? Could you check, Tanner? If you, okay, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, we're going to put some in the back. You can just slip back and get some, too. The Samaritan woman. Jesus' interaction with this Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 is where we're going to be spending our whole evening. Two weeks ago, when we met, we looked at our, our key verse was John 4.23. I'm going to just jump right into it because we got a, a lot to cover this evening, and there is so much in this story. So uh, forgive me, I'm just kind of jumping in here. 4.23. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, the true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Talks about true worshipers. The Father is seeking this kind of worshiper. And that would imply that if there's true worshipers, there's also people who are not true worshipers. You see, we're all worshipers, we looked at last week. We worship all kinds of stuff. Stuff that, and worship means if I could only have this. If I could only have this person, I'd be happy. If I could only have this circumstance, wouldn't that be great? That's worship. When we look to something else for satisfaction. It's not true worship. It's idolatry. But... God says that he is seeking, that word for seeking. Do you remember what that means? Anybody remember? It means to aim at. Not a shotgun, but a rifle. God is specifically aimed on people who are true worshipers. That's who he wants. That's who he lovingly pursues. It's not this broad, random But Jesus in John 4 demonstrates that. He is seeking. And it's such a testimony of his grace. Because this is the last woman in the world. Jesus always picks the people, it seems, that you wouldn't expect. Remember Zacchaeus? I was thinking, nobody wanted Zacchaeus. He was, nobody liked him. He was um, a cheat. He was socially, he looked funny. And then we got the Samaritan woman. I mean, she's an outcast, and she was not looking for Jesus. I read a verse I was telling Tim this week, and I couldn't get it out of my head. Romans 10.20 says, I was, and speak, this is God speaking about Gentiles, who, that's what I am. I'm a Gentile, I'm not a Jew. It says, I was found by those who did not seek me. God says, I was found by those who didn't seek me. And I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. Man, that is the testimony of the Samaritan woman. She was not looking for Jesus. Um, I think a lot of times we, we look at these, these stories and scriptures as kind of like par- parables. But like this was a real woman in a real time who bumped into Jesus. And it, it didn't, like, when we read this, it's like one chapter long. But this was her life. She had gone through five husbands in a culture 
that your identity, I mean, your identity was wrapped up in your, in your relationship with your husband. If you had a divorce, you were nothing. How do you think society looked at this woman? Not, not too pleasantly. She had gone through five husbands. She was looking, not for Christ. She was looking for something to bring satisfaction. She was looking for something to bring her happiness. And she could not find it. And she kept looking and looking and looking. And like a, what is the definition of um, insane? You keep trying the same thing, expecting different results. That's what she was doing. And that's what we do. When we don't know Christ, we just try it all. Hoping, and remember Jeremiah, two, uh, what is it? Jeremiah 2.13. It says, my people have committed two evils. First, they have forsaken me. Second, they have made for themselves pots. And these pots are broken and they do not hold water. And the Samaritan woman, five times, she had a husband and she said, oh, maybe this one, maybe this one will, will make me happy. Maybe this is the one that will satisfy me. And there was nothing in it. So she tried it again. And this is what we do in life. We try things. And God says, you have committed two evils. You have forsaken me. And you make for yourselves things. And you, you, you weigh them down and say, this will bring me hope. And God says, they're broken pots. It's false worship. Jesus said, only I can give you living water. Only I am worthy and can, can bear the weight of your worship. And so the woman, and I was picturing her, coming along, and oh, that's kind of a big pot there. Every day, about noontime, is when Jesus met her. Why at noontime? No one else was there. She would go to the well with her, her big jar of water, and her, she was totally full of shame because she had been a failure after failure after failure. And as I've been reading this story of the Samaritan woman and Jesus, the gospel, the whole gospel unfolds in chapter 4. Every aspect of it. Because she's looking. Check out, um, put your fingers in Ephesians 1 and 2. We're going to go there real quick. Ephesians 2. And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others." That's the woman. She's, she's dead in her sins. She keeps trying more, hoping they'll satisfy. And she comes to the well, and Jesus is already there. You see, it says right before in John chapter 4, he needed to go through Samaria. 
God is sovereignly seeking this woman out. That's, that's our testimony as a Christian. We love him because he first loved us. This woman was not seeking, but Christ sought her out. What a story of grace. Um, Jesus seeks. Back in Ephesians 2, verse 4, while we were dead in our sins. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, Verse 5, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even while you were dead, looking for hope in pots with holes in them, hoping that they would give you water. Even while we were dead in sins, the Father is seeking. So, The first week, we looked at what does it mean to be a true worshiper? Because the Father is seeking true worshipers. It means like the the one song that the guys let us in. I love that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. It's to turn your eyes off of everything else and to turn them on to Jesus and the things of the Word. That's what Christ wants And uh, as people, this is what we do. And, well, the woman, when she is confronted with Jesus at the well, she goes to the well, and Jesus is already there. She diverts him four times. She avoids him four times. She deviates from him four times. And in each one, I can totally see that people who who are not believers, they do all the time. We always have good excuses for avoiding the gospel, for avoiding Jesus. And right away, she brings up the first one. She says, wait a second. I thought that Jews didn't have any dealings with Samaritans. And the word, what she was saying is, is she, she's lowering her pot down into the well, trying to avoid him. Because you know she just wants to get water and get out of there. Do you ever talk to people about Jesus and they're just like, I just want to kind of keep going here? And she goes, what, what are you talking about? You guys don't eat off the same utensils as us. There's a lot of hate between us. And that's, one of the, that's a, a classic diversion that people avoid the gospel. Differences. Well, I don't, I'm not going to follow, don't you know that all the hypocrites? Don't you know that, these, there's these different racial tensions, these different social classes. You go to school, you go, and there's people who you're just not going to talk to because maybe they're not good enough, or maybe they're too good. Or, or here's one I wrestle with. Maybe you're afraid because you worship man's approval. And so rather than being open and talking about the things of the word, you kind of cower and you say, don't you know I don't talk to people like you? Because what if you made fun of me? <laughs> or, or, or all these different reasons. And she brings up hate. And how does Jesus respond? He loves her. He says, can, can I get a drink? Can, can I get a drink out of your bucket? And I love how Jesus just breaks down these walls. He's got no time for 
peripheral things. He says, I'd like to get a drink from you. And then, after he loves her, he says, do you know, do you, if you only knew who it was who was speaking to you, I could give you living water. And he's talking about salvation. He's talking about abundant life. He's talking about spiritual things. And she responds to him. I love this interaction with, with, her, with Jesus and this woman. And she responds to, her, she, to him. And she says, but you don't even have a bucket. Like Jesus is talking about spiritual things. I could give you living water. And she looks at him and she says, but you don't, you don't got a bucket, Jesus. You see, that's how it is. Another, another diversion. Well, that's going to be bad. <laughs> the next diversion is that, let's read in um, 1 Corinthians 2.14. You see, Jesus is talking to her about spiritual things. She doesn't get it. She gets confused. She, she's thinking he's talking about actual water. It's not what he's talking about at all. When she gets confused, Jesus teaches her. This is what he says to her in verse 13. Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, speaking of the well. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become to in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. What he says to her is that, woman, salvation is the only thing that will satisfy your soul. You can look to, to water in your pot. You can look to all these circumstances, but there is only one remedy that you will never be thirsty again. You need living water from me, and I'm the source. He teaches her. Her response is, her next diversion is um, she accepts it. Okay, I'll take some of this water. She says in um, verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. You see, the next thing that she, her next diversion is, it's for selfish gain. Give me this water so I don't have to work anymore. A lot of people think that if I come to Christ, he's going to make me healthy, wealthy, and wise. And a lot of people evangelize that same way. And what, what it does is it massages the flesh. If you come to the Lord, He's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. The truth is, He may not. The truth is, is that Christ is better than health. David said, Lord, your loving kindness is better than life. Do you feel, do, do you feel that strongly about Jesus Your loving kindness, Lord. Your love is better than life. How could you say that? Because Christ's love extends past death. It's better than life because it lasts longer than life. It's eternal life, abundant life. The next thing is Christ may call call you to give up your wealth. He, He may not make you wealthy in the eyes of the world. He did to the rich young ruler. He put his finger 
on the one thing that that man worshipped. And so many of us in our culture do. We worship our wealth, our bank accounts, and we say, now I'm safe. I've got a big pot of money. Do you remember what Jesus told the man who had a big barn? You fool. Don't you know that this very night your soul is required of you? Christ may call you, cause you to give up your wealth. And he... <laughs> he will cause, cause you to look like a fool. Because a lot of Christians, this is, what we, this is the games we play. We want to be a Christian, but yet on the same hand, we want to look good in the eyes of the world. 1 Corinthians says that the gospel is foolishness. You will look like a fool. But so many times we try to, to have like, yeah, I'm a Christian, when we, as we philosophize. It's so silly. Christ does not necessarily make you healthy, wealthy, and wise. He may call call you to to give it up because he's better. He's better. That's what he teaches this woman. Salvation is the only thing that satisfies the soul. Then, what happens next in the conversation? She brings up selfish worship. Verse 16, Jesus knows exactly what this woman is worshiping. And in a sentence, he puts his finger right on it. Go call your husband. And up to this point, I can imagine the woman at the well, and she doesn't know this guy. He doesn't know her. And she's got this exchange going on, this conversation And inside, she's probably thinking, he doesn't know me. He doesn't know everything about me. We're having a conversation here. That's okay. I'm still safe. He doesn't know my shame. And then Jesus says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't don't have a husband. Jesus says, you have spoken truthfully. You've had five. And the person you're living with now, you're not even married to. If there was any question that Jesus, that this woman was hiding from Jesus, it was out now. Jesus knew exactly who she was. And this, this, we're coming to the climax of this story, is where we're going to stick, stick to tonight. Because this is a pivotal change here. Um, I want to talk just briefly. Part of salvation is that Christ has called you. We respond. Faith in Christ. Repentance. That's what Christ is working on right now. Um, could somebody read for me? Uh, let's go to 2 Corinthians 7. We'll read it together. This is so important, guys. This part of salvation. 2 Corinthians 7. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of um, but the sorrow of the earth of the world produces death. Let me start again there. Verse 10. 
For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, and not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. John Piper says, the quickest way to a person's heart is through a wound. And Christ reaches through this wounded lady's life, and he touches her and says, you need to repent. Go call your husband. You've had five. The person you're living with now is not your husband. You see, Jesus doesn't, like I said last week, Jesus doesn't ride a tandem bike. He doesn't accept co-pilots. You either worship Christ alone, or you're not worshiping Christ. Because Christ, he, he doesn't share the throne. The throne doesn't have dual seats. Christ says, you can't worship me, you can't have living water, and put your hope in men. You have to repent from that. What does repent mean? It means you're going this way. I want this. This will bring me satisfaction. This will bring me happiness. It's sin. Repent means turn your eyes upon Jesus. It means to to go this way. To totally, you're going this way, and now you're going this way. That's godly repentance. 2 Corinthians says, leading to salvation. Do you remember Esau? Hebrews, I think it's um, 12, 12, 16. It calls Esau a profane man. Esau got the, the birthright robbed from him. Remember that? And it says, even though he sought it with tears, the birthright was spiritual. And he was like, what have I done? He sought it with tears, but God said he was a profane man. Why? Because he found no place in his heart for repentance. This is what God desires, requires. You repent from sin and you turn to Christ. That's what a true worshiper does. And, man, that's hard. That's denying the flesh. That's giving up all those things that you're putting your hope in now and saying, Your grace is sufficient for me, Lord. You're all I need. That's a good challenge to us. Repentance is part of salvation. And now the rest of this time, I want to sit on the topic. We've looked at what a true worshiper is. Okay, The Father is seeking. In His sovereignty, He sought her out. He pointed out her sin. He told her who he was, and he said, you got to repent. Now, I want to talk about true worship. Worship is huge in our culture. But what about true worship? Because that's what I want. Like, when we're singing songs, I want to truly worship. I don't want to, to fake it. When I'm sitting Sunday morning at a sermon and I'm listening to God's word like we're doing now, like, I want it to be worshipful. When I'm sitting in class, like what does it mean to be a true worshiper then? When you're praying, what does it mean to be a true worshiper then? The woman brings up worship. And for the first time in this whole conversation, 
Christ and her talk about the same thing. Because of, because of Christ and his wisdom, he's avoided all these peripheral things. And now we're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about what really matters. Let's go to um, verse 19. Right after Jesus confronts her on her sin. And she says, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And then she switches the subject. See if you can find, figure out what's going on. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews, you say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. What just happened there? You see, this is what I believe that's going on. Jesus points out her sin. I believe that she is cut to the quick. That she that her sin is revealed. It's no longer in darkness. It's been exposed. Why would she want to go to a place of worship? You see, the, she brings up this topic of we go to Mount Gerizim. Jews go to Jerusalem, where the temple is. Now, the reason that Samaritans went to Mount Gerizim is because they did not accept Scripture in its entirety. They rejected everything except for the first five books. Mount Gerizim, right near, the, right near Mount Gerizim, is where Abram offered up his first sacrifice unto the Lord. That's a big deal. Mount Gerizim is where the, the, the Israelites, where they said, we are going to obey the Ten Commandments. We're going to follow you, Lord. They made that covenant we talked about last year. This woman is thinking, if I am a sinner, where do I go, prophet, to get made right? You Jews say that you need to go to Jerusalem, and in Jerusalem is the temple, which is where we make sacri- you make sacrifices for sin. But prophet, where do I go? Because I perceive that you know a lot. So tell me, where do I go to get made right? She's, she's confused again. And Jesus gives a response that's really shocking. He says um, in verse 21, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Here was her confusion. She thought that worship was a place. It revolved around a place. Surely it's got to be this mountain or in Jerusalem. Tell me because I want to get it made right. You know my heart. It's wicked. Where do I go to get made right? And Jesus said, it's not about a place. It's about a person. It's not about going someplace. It's, not, it's about the how and the who of worship, not the where. Skip down to verse 24. It's, Jesus said, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. What, is, what he's saying, God is spirit. He is altogether different than you expect. I think as growing up, what did you picture God looked like? Kind of pictured him in heaven, big guy, beard, you know? It's, it's not, that's not what he's like. He's spirit. He's altogether different. He, he doesn't, he's not like us. There's a, there's a verse in Acts 17. 
It says um, Paul is talking to these wise men, and he says, In him, God, we live and move and have our being. If you ever want to feel small, me and a guy were looking at Google Earth, and I was showing him where I grew up, and like, there's a farm. And then we scrolled out, and I realized how small that place that I had spent so many years looked. In him we live and move and have our being. And then that, that town was actually small in that county. In him we live and move and have our being. And that county was actually pretty small in Maryland. And Maryland is a pretty small state in the United States. It, it, you keep going back and you realize how small you are. And Paul says, in him you live and move and have your being. And then, you, did you ever see that Louis Giglio video where he shows like the earth and you're like, whoa. And then he shows like a star and you're like, earth's nothing. And that, that verse keeps going over my head. In him you live and move and have your being. And it keeps scrolling back and the bigger, the, the, the further out in space that the Hubble telescope realizes, we, we see how big space is. Why is that? Because in him we live and move and have our being. God is so much bigger than we think. He's not limited. He doesn't limit himself to a place like this woman thought. I love what David says in, um, in the Psalms. I, just, I can't find it. It says... Uh, Lord, you have hedged me in. I go forward and you're there. I go behind me and you're there. If I go to heaven, you're already there. If I go down to hell, you're there. Like on one hand, these verses, they're very scary because I know my heart. And I know that there are things that I'm not proud of. And there is nowhere, God is not just here. Our our souls are open before the eyes of the Lord. He sees everything. He's not limited. But on the other hand, if you're a worshiper, man, that's awesome. Because there is no place outside of being in sin that you are too far from the Lord Sometimes we tuck our, our boys, we always tuck our boys in bed, but sometimes they get scared. And one of the things that we tell them is, uh, the Lord will never leave you, He will never forsake you. He's so big, He's so other than me. And this woman, she's like, Where do I go? Where do I go? Do I go to Gerizim? Do I go to Jerusalem? Jesus says, no, you got it wrong. God is spirit. It's not the where. It's the who. Um, although he is... Now, now think, think of the, uh, how the Jews would have thought of this. This is a Samaritan woman. Think of how the Jews would have wrestled with this. Their whole history, God was... Let's see, at first he was in the tent of meetings with Moses... He was at a place. And then he was at a tabernacle that David built. 
And then he was at a temple that Solomon built. It was the place of the holy. It was always about a place. And Christ has come, and that was about to change. And the irony of it is, is that the Jews were continuing to go to worship the same place and the same place. And Jesus in Matthew 23, 38 says, See, your house has left you desolate. See, they were going to worship and God wasn't even there. <laughs> Boy, that's, that's ironic. They had this beautiful temple and got Jesus' look. Look at this beautiful house. It's empty other than you. You're worshiping and he's not even here. You know, as Christians, as people, we do that a lot. We compartmentalize our faith. We think, now I'm here at Friday night, it's time to worship. And then we go home and we forget that worship continues. It should continue. Tomorrow, Sunday, Sunday morning's coming. Got to get cleaned up, got to shave, got to go to church. It's time to worship. But then Monday, and you're like, okay, now I'm a student. And then you have these other things that you go to, and now we're here, and now I'm a student, and now I'm home, and now I argue with my parents. And we have these different aspects of our life, and we compartmentalize. Didn't, what does it say? Whatsoever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Worship is not about a location. It's about your life turning from sin and turning to Christ. Okay? Um, and then, let's keep going. This section in John 20, 421. 20, let's look at 22. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. There's a tension there that we're going to talk about. The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Catch this verse, verse 24. God is spirit and those who worship him must. They must worship him in spirit, and in truth. I want to know what that means because I want to be a worshiper who truly worships, not a worshiper who's, who's looking like it, but like before the Lord, I want my worship to be acceptable. Don't you? Let's look at this, the first, the first part. They must worship him in spirit. What does that mean? Um, I was looking into this. To worship him in spirit is not a reference to Holy Spirit. It's not a, it's, he's not, Jesus is not saying you must worship him in Holy Spirit. The spirit, as I understand it here, is our inner man. It needs to impact the heart. Worship needs to go into your soul. It needs to be not only external, but it needs to be internal. Um, What does that look like? Go to Psalms 100. I'll give you some examples 
of worshiping in spirit. Couple couple dimensions here. Verse 1, make a joyful shout to the Lord, external, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful, internal, to Him and bless His name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and His truth endures to all generation. Worship that impacts the inner man, worship that impacts your heart, it's seen. It affects who you are. David says, shout to the Lord. Be joyful. If you can picture a fire in your soul... And the heat that comes off that fire, it's going to be felt by others. Like it's not worship that affects your heart is going to be seen by other people. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be invisible. It's going to impact the inner man and the outer man. It's going to require you to change that's worship. Another, let's look at another way that worship looks like in the Spirit. Psalms 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. This is what worship looks like to the inner man. It's a broken heart. A person who, when they screw up and sin, they're not just neutral about it. They're not just, oh well. They're like, oh God, I hate messing up. The Lord will not reject a broken heart and a contrite spirit. That is worship that is acceptable to God. It's joyful. Joyful enough that people around you see it. It's glad. It's broken. This is what worship look like, looks like. How does this happen? Because we're really good at faking it. And it, here's the danger here when we're talking about what we're talking about is worship that affects our heart. What does scripture say about our heart? It is deceitful. It's tricked easily. Above all things, who can know it? If I give you five bucks, if I walked up and it's like, here, Tay, here's five bucks for nothing, his heart would be gladder. But if while he wasn't looking, I took that five bucks away and he looked in his pocket and it was gone, that's how fickle your heart is. A matter of five bucks. Like, we need to be so careful that when it comes to worship, that our heart is not fickle. 
that it is true before the Lord, that our brokenness is true brokenness, that our repentance is true repentance, that our joy is true joy. But how does that happen? Because I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to be the guy who's got my hands in the air faking it. Like, I want that to be when I'm praising the Lord and my hands are lifted and you see that I'm joyful, I want that to be real. How does that take place? How do you avoid the, the false, the falseness of it? It's the tension. Jesus said, to worship the Father, you must worship him in spirit. That's what we're talking about. And truth. These have got to be held in tension. If, if, we'll talk about what, what happens when they get lopsided. Um, what is truth? If worship is the fire and the heat that is seen by others, truth is what fuels it. It's the wood in the stove, the stove of my soul. Okay? What is truth? Psalms 119.160 says, The entirety of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous judgments endure forever. This is truth. God's word is true. John 17.17 says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Here's the, here's the, the tension. If you want to be a true worshiper, and if you want to believe and say and react to the Lord, what pleases Him is when true things are said about Him. How do you know what's true about God? Through the revelation of Jesus Christ and His Word and no other way? That's what pleases Him. When we say things about Him that are actually about Him, and um, if these are not, it needs to be a heart-head balance. We need to feel rightly. We need to think rightly. Our emotions, they need to be balanced with good thinking. And that only comes to the tension of this needs to fuel our heart. Our heart needs to conform to God's word. It needs to conform to what is true. Because if it doesn't, we're worshiping something. We are reacting to something that isn't true. Probably our emotions. Here's the, here's the, the different balances that we tend to, to fall into. You have a person who is all spirit, no truth. They, they, when they're worshiping, they're clapping their hands. They got their hands up. They're... Good morning, brother. Good to see you. And they're always like that, but there's no truth to them? What's this person? What happens to this guy? The first trial comes in his life. The first time it rains on him, what happens to that fire? Man, it goes out fast. If you've got no fuel, no truth conforming your heart, it shows up real quick. It may last you a while. You may get through college. And you may look like a true, you may look like you're truly worshiping, you're excited. But if there's no truth fueling the fire, what is fueling the fire? Probably your emotions. Probably something that is not true, and probably something that is soon 
as you, you put some time in there, you get a couple of wrinkles, life kicks you around a little bit, worship's out the window. That's the, that's the one balance. Um, it's shallow, shallow worship. It's man-centered. Um, Job. Job said some great things about God. I mean, he, in Job 37, he says some remarkable things about God, and God answers him, and he says, Who is this who darkens counsel with words without knowledge? In other words, Job, you don't even know what you're talking about. What are you doing describing me? You don't even know me. And then he goes on, and he, this is who I am, Job. Where were you? Where were you? What do you think? And Job says, you know, I talked once. Put my hand over my mouth. I'll remain quiet. Because God wants to be worshipped by what is true about him, not what we think about him. Um, where does this happen? I was, we were driving to Big Sky last week. Turned on a Christian radio station. Listening to a song. It said absolutely nothing about God. It, it kind of had these like neat mirages and some like parallels maybe. But I could have sung that song to my wife. And it would have, it would have flew. Is that true worship? Like there's a lot of heart to it. But is there, it, there's a lot of heart, but... Balanced with attention of truth. Because those who worship the Lord must worship Him in spirit and in truth. See, there's churches that build huge sound systems all over our country. Why is that? Because they know how easily your heart is swayed. But then you're singing. And guys, use a little discernment when you go back home to your churches. When you, when you pick your own church Don't be swayed by the heart because it's deceitfully wicked. Listen to what you're listening to. Is it held in balance with truth? Because if it's not, those who worship the Lord must worship Him in spirit. And it's not worship. It's emotionalism. You're actually worshiping the music. If there's no truth, what what about teaching? There are huge churches and there are hundreds and thousands of people that go to these churches. And the, the teacher says all kinds of stuff that makes them feel good. And they might crack open the Bible, lopsided. And they feel so good. When, man, that was, a, that was a great sermon. He didn't say anything. Well, he said a lot of things, but the Lord didn't say anything. Is that worship? You need to be discerning. Because if it's not balanced with spirit and truth, and the truth must impact our spirit. Or that's the other side of the balance. What about your prayer? Do you pray to the Lord things that are true? That takes a lot of thought. Like I'm trying to discipline my mind to pray things that I've read in Scripture because so many times I can just spout off things. You're before the creator of the earth and all that is was ever created, and we're just spouting off things? Really? <laughs> we need to be careful. Because those who worship him must worship him 
spirit and in truth. Now, what about the other side? We have people who all truth, no spirit. What does that mean? The person who um, they know they know the, they, they know their Bibles. They've been to Sunday school. Okay, they got a badge, right? But it does not impact their heart. They know all the answers, but it's just not getting through. They're the same person. No spirit. These people are are usually pretty religious. They look good. Some of you look so good. But is it impacting your heart? You know so stinking much. But does it make one bit of difference? A lot of times these people are pretty cruel. You'll, you'll say, man, I just had a terrible day. This just happened. And they'll say, well, brother, you know, Romans 8 says, all things work to the good of those who love him. Have a good day. <laughs> Call me if you need another verse. <laughs> but it doesn't impact their heart. It doesn't get through. There's no change. If you worship the Lord, true worship, it's got to be the balance of both spirit and in truth. James gives an excellent demonstration of this person. James was the brother of Jesus. Let's go to James real quick. James 1. This is the perfect demonstration of the person who has got a lot of truth, but it doesn't impact the spirit. James 1, 22. But be a doer of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. That's the kind of guy this person is. Is they read scripture... They have their devotions in the morning. They put their Bible away, and they're the exact same person they were when they read, before they read. How many of that? How, how many of us are this kind of guy? Have devotions every morning, and we're still the same person. It's not impacting who you are. It's not. There's no joy in your life. There's no sorrow over sin. You're in the Word all the time, and you're still the same guy. There's no no balance there. Let's keep going in John 4. Here's the climax of this whole chapter. This is where it all comes down. Verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who was called the Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. The irony that he told a Samaritan and not a Jew first that he was the coming Messiah. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, why do you seek, or what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? Now, I want, I want you to check this out, verse 28, because there's going to be a transformation of this woman. Before, she was a, in shame. She tried to avoid people. She was 
looking for worship in circumstances and not a savior, it says in verse 28, then the woman left her water pot. That's why she came there in the first place. All of a sudden, it wasn't that important anymore. In the heat of the day, she left her water pot and went, and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? What just happened? This is so awesome. First, she's beginning to become a true worshiper. Okay? Now, she makes this statement. Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Did, did he? First of all, it, it was pretty amazing that Christ, without knowing her, told her, you know, you've had five husbands and the person you're with now is not your husband. That, that is amazing. And that is like she was looking for hope in these men and looking for hope in all these places. And Christ said, I- I'm living water. But then she goes to these men This is a small town. Don't you think they knew who she was? You better believe it. Word about a woman marrying five people gets around. But is she hiding it? Uh Uh-uh. Does she look guilty to you? Does she look like she's wrestling with shame? Come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Uh, We know exactly what you did. For the past, I don't know how many years, we've been watching you and talking about you behind your back. This lady is totally changed. You see, when when we come to Christ and He exposes our idolatry, when He exposes our false worship and He brings it to light, and we repent and turn from these things that are broken pots and turn to Christ, we start to worship Man, it's a different person. This woman is a different person. I want to talk to you just in closing about evangelism. A lot of you are going to evangelize. You're going to go to the the Christmas stroll tomorrow and share your faith. And a lot of people want to talk about their faith on campus. Talk about when you graduate. You want to be a witness where you work. You're not going to be a witness if you're not a true worshiper, okay? You're you're not going to... What drew these people in was her testimony. They just looked at her and they were like, this woman's changed. Check out what they said. Um, Scroll down to 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him. Why? Because of the word of the woman who testified... He told me all things I ever did. That's, that was it. That was, that was her whole testimony. My guilt's gone. This is the Savior, and I put my trust in Him. My guilt is gone. And they, had, they wanted to see who this man was. Scroll down to 42. It's awesome to see how Christ uses us in the process of salvation. You can't save anybody. You can't strong arm anybody into the kingdom. But if you're a worshiper, if people see that you are worshiping and that they feel that heat off of you, like, well, that person's different. 
they just flunked out of whatever. They just didn't get the contract to whatever, and they're okay because you're worshiping Christ. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this indeed is the Christ and the Savior of the world. What caused these people to put their faith in Christ, and many in this town believed. You see, the woman, she just, it's like somebody told me last week, we are beggars looking. Kelly, help me out. What is it? We're beggars telling other beggars where to find bread. Yeah. He's over here. Come with me. And then we take him to the Word, and Christ's Word, God's Word, does not return void. The Word is what changes us. God's Word is what draws us in. But He uses us. Are Are you a worshiper? Like, do people around you see that you're different? Are you like this woman who you're like, you got, here is a man, the Christ, who told me all things I ever did. And I don't, I don't wrestle with shame and guilt. And people, people think, I got to know who this, I, I, got, I want what he has, or I want what she has. Man, that's, that's what I want. I want people to come up to me and be like, what's different about you? Uh, bread. You want some Bread. I got some bread right here. Um, in closing, just wanted to uh, in closing challenge you. Is John for your testimony? Have you seen t- right now? As we open up God's Word, He speaks to us. It's not some old book. As he's talking to you through his word, have you responded? Do you worship Christ? Have you repented of your sins? I talked to a guy last Monday and he said, I was, oh, I was born a Christian. No, you weren't. We weren't born Christians. The Bible says that we were born sinners. And we need to repent from that and turn to Christ. Are you, are you truly a worshiper? Do you have discernment? Are, are you listening to things that you have impacted your heart and you're, you think you're worshiping, but, but is there any truth in them? Use some discernment. I want to challenge you that way. And on the other hand, if you're a person who is just stone cold and, and God's word, his truth, has not impacted your heart, Man, you need, to turn to, you need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, break my heart. A broken heart and a contrite spirit before the Lord, he will not refuse. And that's what I want. Let's pray. And we'll ask the guys to come up and lead us in some more singing. Heavenly Father, it's been a long time since you talked to the Samaritan woman. And Lord, I'm so thankful that We can see the testimony of your salvation, Lord, your sovereignty, your intense, immense love for a lady who was unlovable. And Lord, if you loved her, you you can love us too, Lord. Lord, help us to remember that 
There is no sin that is, no sinner who is too far gone, Lord. I was reminded earlier, Lord, that where our sin abounds, your grace abounds, Lord. Lord, if there's anybody here who has not repented of their sin, let this be the day that they turn from idolatry, from hope in the world, in empty pots and broken cisterns, Lord, into you for eternal life, Lord. Help us to be wise and discerning. And uh, Lord, thank you for your truth. Thank you for your word, Lord, for guiding us. We commit all these things to you, Lord. We ask all these things to your glory. Amen.